Hello, Hene. Welcome to another episode of the Poet Box series. We're really glad to have you here today. Thank you, Aisha. Thank you for having me. So before we begin, um, I would like to first of all introduce you to our readers. So I'm going to read your bio now. Hene Cherry Kwaku is a poet from Gunaswa in the Bono region of Ghana. He's the author of Revolution of the Scavengers, selected by Kwame Dawes and Chris Abani for the APBF New Generation African Poets chapbook series. His works have appeared in Lolwe, Olongo Africa, Agboro, Tempered Press, Random Photo Journal, Praxis Magazine, CGWS, Lunaris Review, Topelo Quarterly, Poetry Society of America, Ice Blue Press, New South Journal, and elsewhere. Find him on Twitter and Instagram at Kweku Cherry. Well, that's a very long list of places that you've been published. So we know that we are having a really, really experienced um, author with us today. Yeah. Thank you, Aisha. I mean, we are trying to get better every day, so probably we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So before we proceed with serious stuff, I would like to know the meaning of your name. I am always interested in like knowing the meaning of African names, and I find African names really interesting. So can you tell us the meaning of your name? Okay, my name is Hene Cherekweku, and Hene basically means a king or a leader, yeah. And then Tre is more like um, a teacher, a sage, yeah, all of that. And I'm Kweku because, and yes, Tre is my surname, so Tre is my dad's name. And also my dad is a teacher, so <laughs> it's quite funny. And also the key word for teach is Tre, yeah. It can also mean show, yeah. And Kweku, I'm Kweku because I was born on a Wednesday. So in Ghana, if you're, every day you're born, every day has a name. So the women have their names, the men have their names, their day names. So I was born on a Wednesday, and so I'm Kweku. If I was a woman, I would have been a queer or Aku, depending on where I'm from. And with Kweku too, I can be Kweku or Abeku or Koku, depending on where I'm from. But I am Bono, so I am Kweku. And we, Kweku, Kweku is um, associated mostly with Kweku Anansi, the canon, <laughs> the canon one, so. Yeah, that's basically it. So. Well, that's really nice. And I like the fact that um, your dad, like it's so coincidental that because your dad's name is uh, Cherry, which means sage or teacher, and then he's actually a teacher. So I guess your grandparents did a good one with that one. Um, I think there's something similar in Hausa culture too, because um, there are names for every day of the week so your parents could choose if you were born say you were born on a friday you'd be danjuma if you were born on 
wednesday and other days of the week they are also named so that's really nice um okay so let's move to our first question let's get to serious stuff now um i'll begin by asking you what you think about poetry would you say it is inborn or learned is poetry something that just comes to someone instantly for some people instantly or is it something that you'd have to learn to be able to do okay so before i say anything um let me issue a disclaimer that i am somebody who changes his mind a lot so what i'm going to tell you today maybe in the next five years if you ask me i'll say something different or i may even not agree with myself any longer and i think if you ask me this question about five or six years ago it would have been a different answer i would have told you that yes um poetry is something you're born with but i no longer completely agree with that um i feel like poetry is just like um everything else that you can learn to do so you don't have to be born with a special talent yes talent is important it comes easy for some people i mean because of the talent but with practice and learning you can become better at it too yeah oh well that's that's really nice (laughs) i think i find that cool because it's it's um it shows that you're growing it shows that you're not staying in one particular place it shows that you're getting different ideas you're changing your perspectives and all of that and i think it's very cool and as for your answer i think i also agree with the idea that sometimes poetry isn't always um pure talent you would also need skill most of the time to adjust and to better your craft so um looking back at your childhood what do you think played a major role in shaping your path to poetry so i think one other thing that i want to add is that in africa most of the things that we do are very very poetic even our languages themselves our normal conversations are very poetic i mean we we use similes and metaphors a lot in our conversation and it's not like we are even being intentional about the usage it just comes so maybe that may be something that um sets us apart on another level too because i don't think in other languages i don't know many other languages but uh, i speak english so in english it is not so poetic english is not so poetic as compared to our african languages yeah i completely agree with you on that one because um Take your name, for example. Your name means king. Uh, It means someone that was born on Wednesday. And it also means, um, it also means teacher and sage, like when you add your surname to it. So it's so, your name alone, as in like African names alone tell a lot about the person. Your name, for instance, shows that your dad is a teacher and then it kind of shows like your your parents hopes 
in a way in giving you the name king so i i completely agree with that because it's in our languages our language african languages are so complex like if you'd listen to certain things like even the way we greet our conversations like you said and it when, what you said reminded me of something in house like when you want to greet someone in the morning you would say in Aquana. and in Aquana means where is sleep so i find that like when you when you said this it made me remember that greeting and how it is such a metaphorical way to greet someone so when you ask someone in Aquana, you the person will answer you with it's fine and it's so it's so complicated it's so much more complicated than saying good morning so i think i agree with you on that one so i think one of the uh, one of my earliest influences um, regarding poetry is um children's rhymes i mean in ghana in your basic school you will sing a lot of songs especially um from kindergarten class one to maybe class three no class three doesn't do much like that but from class one two from kindergarten to class one and two you will do a lot of singing you do a lot of children's rhymes so your teachers will teach you and all of that so like it builds something in you i don't know but that's what i think and at home to like i mentioned earlier that my dad was a teacher so we had this board at home where he will teach us um, children's rhymes as well my brother my other brother and i and i was younger so but i didn't learn much but i think it created in me something like that some something uh, some interest in the arts so yeah i think those are some of my earliest influences yeah i mean what is good about the morning <laughs> well i did not see that coming like i was expecting to hear that okay you read the works of say maya angelo or say james baldwin or some popular african poets and that was where you decided to that's where you got your inspiration to write poetry but children's rhymes i didn't see that one coming so and i think i think children's rhymes somehow is really poetic and it kind of explains how how deep you are as a person i don't know if you if you can relate if you can connect that but i feel like the fact that you as a child found children's rhymes not just ordinary rhymes as not just as the rhymes you found something much deeper in all of these in all of them it shows how much um how you're able to see things and how poetic you are as a person exactly sometimes the morning isn't good it's sometimes mornings it could be really shitty you would be waking up and then maybe say the weather is terrible and you're going out and you're telling someone good morning like it doesn't really make sense on to the next question so when did you start writing and when you started writing was it something that was intentional or had you been writing for a long time and then subconsciously and then you just realized one day oh i've been writing or i've been writing poetry so even um with with the children's i think one that i remembered so much from my childhood is uh guzi ganda which i think i recited this thing for so long and it was when i grew up later that i actually went to look for 
why that um, rhyme was written and I realized that it was quite political so yes um, there is so much that we learn in our childhood that we don't even consider until later in our lives that these things are very very important yeah and talking about our greetings I think um, in Ghana for instance let me use morning just like you use so in the way we greet in the morning as an um, as a bono so I'll greet as machi which is memawachi and if you transliterate it it will be more like I give you the morning so you see how metaphorical that sounds how can you I mean give somebody the morning but that is it I give you the morning so whatever it is you take it I give you the morning and that feels like it doesn't impose on you what kind of morning it should be whatever morning it is I give it to you okay so talking about the <laughs> the rhymes again I think um, when I was younger we my dad and I went to the post office one time and there was this lady there and she gave me a children's rhyme book and I really loved it so even throughout my basic education I think I was somewhat writing a lot of rhymes in my books but I started writing I mean consciously after senior high school yeah I think after senior high school that was when I started writing like consciously like, okay now I'm writing poems I'm intentional about what I'm writing and I think I started writing <laughs> political poems those were where I started like everything I, I started with was like political 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 and I feel like this is like a continuation of a tradition because when you look at um, most of our old African poets most of them were very political in their writings so that was one of the things though I didn't probably intend that okay I'm going to write political poems but that was what I was doing and then I was trying to write this very African African styles of writing yeah well okay first off I didn't know that goosey goosey ganda was a political statement I mean how much political statements are in our rhymes that we sang when we were younger. So I think that's another cool thing. And I think they kind of put incentives. I don't know. And I'm about to get all conspiracy theory up in here. I think they put incentives into these things so that children would know what's going on. But then we're children. We don't understand what's going on. And wow, like that is such a beautiful way to tell someone good morning. Like or to greet someone in the morning, I give you the morning. So it's like, here, take it. Anything, anything you get out of it, it makes so much more sense than telling the person good morning because it's like, okay, it's it's. I don't know. For me, I I find good morning so um so plain and so repetitive. Like it's it's kind of bland for me sometimes because it's like, okay, good morning. And in my head, if I'm having a really bad day, it's like, oh God, why, why, why are you telling me good morning? It doesn't make any sense. So I, I think 
African languages are so much better. Like when, when, when do we start switching or when do we start greeting people like this? I think I'll start greeting people with, I give it the morning. Like I would send someone a text message, I give it the morning and then I'll send the rest of their messages to them. I think what you said has just kind of proven me right because I'm t- I was talking about planting incentives into children. And then you turn out to begin writing poetry as writing political poetry, just like all the nursery rhymes you listened to when you were a child. So I think I can, I'm kind of right on this one. <laughs> so um, when you started writing, when you started writing consciously, did you ever show someone, like, did you ever write something and then go show your dad or go show your brother, say your siblings? And when you did, if you, if you did, did they support you? Did they say, oh, this is really nice, keep on writing? Or was it this kind of situation where, okay, go and drop that, go and drop that thing and go and read your book or something like that? Yeah, so, um, I think when I started like consciously writing, um, the initial poem, yeah, let me say poem that I wrote, it was actually a response. So um, my brother, a friend who is a brother, he's my twin brother, he's a poet. So it was after high school that he posted a poem about his high school experience. And we went to the same high school, so I wrote a response to it. And then when he realized that I could write, he didn't know that I was writing. So when he realized I could write, then he was the one that encouraged that I write. So I started, I mean, I started posting what I've been writing. So what I was doing is that when I post, I tag people. Sometimes I send it to a few friends. Then I started a blog. And so, I mean... When I send it to them, sometimes they will give feedback on it. Sometimes when I post, you know, Facebook, people will give comments and then I saw those comments as feedback. Yeah, so yeah, I think I think those were some of the ways that I was receiving feedback from for the work in the beginning, yeah. And with um, my parental support, my parents have been very supportive, like from day one. They, they they've all been very supportive in any way they can and none of them ever told me oh this isn't what we are paying your school fees for this is blah 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 nah they always encouraged like they all did my mom my dad they all did any support that i needed uh, regarding my poetry they, they've always been there yeah so. i think that's really cool I think you you started out very strong actually because answering someone else's poem is something that only experienced writers do or at least as far as i know it's only experienced writers to some extent that reply other people's poems and other people's pieces so i think that's really cool and i've noticed something with our generation it's really common for people to for writers and poets in our generation to start out on places like Facebook or posting things on Instagram, posting quotes on Instagram and tagging people. I guess for a lot of us, this is where we start. And then we start blogs and where we post our writing and then it just takes off from there. So that's something that's really common to people in our generation, which I think is really cool because 
even before you get published and even before you get to have all those um all those things that are associated with a typical writer the with the um standard of what a writer is you already have an audience and you already have people who um who already know you as a poet and it's really cool that your your parents supported you it's not really something african parents are known for known for supporting like artists and creatives in their families so that's that's really nice to know okay so for the next question um your book i totally love the cover <laughs> i'm in love with the cover of your book uh, revolution of scavengers was selected for the APBF New Generation African Poets chapbook series. Was this a a a sort of um validation for you? Was it something that when you got it, it validated everything that you had been doing and everything that's all the work you had been doing as a poet? Okay, so in as much as um I wouldn't want to call it validation, it is, it was it's it meant to me that the work i was doing was getting recognized in places and you know kwame those and chris abani i mean these are big people these are big people like big people and then they invite you to submit a book even the invitation alone meant that the work was getting recognized and then when they accepted it and i was like yo i mean this is crazy if kwame those and then um chris Abani think that my book is good enough to be published, then it means I'm good. Yeah, so that was some kind of a validation over there. Yeah, I think it's a form of validation because these are really big people, like you said. They are really big people. So for them to have said, oh, your work is good, come on, come, let's publish your work, and then you send it to them and they still accept it. Wow. That's, that's really good. So, um, how did you come up with the title? How did you bring up the title? Because it's a very interesting title. How did you come up with it? <laughs> this funny. Um, I have a very weird relationship with titles. I think titles come to me even before they work sometimes. But most of the time, that's what happens. Initially, when I started writing, I had issues with titles all the time. And then a friend of mine told me that, wait, it will come and there will be a time that you wouldn't have these issues yeah i mean i still have issues with titles sometimes but now i think it's way better and most of the time my titles come to me especially with collections my titles will come to me i don't know how it happens but it will come to me and it's it's some way i mean sometimes we don't want to talk about this aspect of it because it feels like you are giving everything out. I mean, sometimes when the titles come out, I don't even understand them. And it takes a while for me to understand, oh, okay, this is what is going on here. And so, yeah, Revolution of the Scavengers wasn't something that I I decided, okay, I'm going to um, write a book entitled Revolution of the Scavengers. The title kind of came to me and I wrote it down and then I started writing towards it. So I was writing towards the title yeah yeah i think 
I don't think you're oversharing because it's something that people need to know. People need to understand how writing works. So um, you talking about how you come up with your titles or you sharing these intimate details. I think it's really nice. It's really good. And thank you for sharing them too. Um, most people would expect you to have picked the title after you finished writing everything. Some people would expect that, uh, expect to go the way you did starting with the, um, starting with the title and then moving and then writing towards the title. So I think it's important that people know that people understand that writing isn't such a rigid process. It's something that is really flexible and it's really peculiar to everyone. And speaking of writing process, what is your writing process like? Are you an, let me say, organized writer? <laughs> or are you someone that's spontaneous? Do you just sit down and then you get random inspiration and you just have to write it down? Okay, so with writing process, I think I'm a bit of both. Sometimes I'm spontaneous, I'm just there, something drops and then I write. But sometimes I make a conscious effort to get something to write. So I sit down with the intent of writing. And so I have to write something. I have to think about something. I have to write something. So I'm a bit of all of it. Where that book, for instance, it looks like, um, yeah, all of all of that um, came to play. I did some random stuff. Also, I planned some of them. So yeah, I'm a bit of all of that. So there are some poems that, okay, I'm just there and then some random inspiration comes and I say, okay, oh, let me write this. Then I do that. And there are some times that I sit and I'm like, okay, what do I have to write about today? Or what do I want to write about today? And then um, sometimes I even list issues that I want to write about, things that I want to write about, themes that I want to write about. Then I set out to write. Sometimes, you know, even as a writer, as a poet, you have to sometimes research your work. So you research and then you do the work. Yeah. Now that is the beauty of the writing process or what I would consider the beauty of the writing process. It's not rigid. It's not a rigid standard on its own. And it's also not something that we can say is uh, loosey-goosey and it's like all over the place with it being spontaneous and and not really um, thought through or thought out. So I, I feel like it's a very beautiful thing because it's complex and I find anything that's that's complex to be very beautiful. So that's really cool. Now with regrets, I think regrets are something that are something that's a very common place in our lives, at least for most of us. So I want to ask, are there things you wish you knew earlier in your career as a poet. You know, certain lessons you wish someone had taught you or someone had, someone certain things that someone had sat you down and talked to you about while you 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 just began as a poet. Well, um, I think I should have started reading certain po- uh, poets earlier. But I don't also regret not reading them earlier. I think everything just played out in the 
right time yeah because i don't know if i had um, paid attention to such people in my earlier days i don't know what would have happened so i it's it's okay with me that i got exposed to such poets and their works the times that i did but i think it's okay yeah i don't personally um in my know my life as a person as a writer as everything i don't regret anything in a sense that i feel like whatever has happened has happened and i can't change it so why regret it nothing so i move i move on that's all i move on with my life that's it i don't regret anything yeah move that's that's something that nigerians always say last last everything would be all right (laughs) It's something that's common to Nigerians. And I think it's it's a good thing to adopt because when you spend so much time regretting and wondering, oh, if I could have I would have done this, I would have done this, you you spend so much time in that regret and you don't move past it. So I think it's really cool that you you live by that. So what makes a good poem to you? What do you think? makes a poem a good one what should be in a poem to make it good i don't think i am sure about what makes a poem a good poem but sometimes i think it's just about you just read the poem and then you like it basically what am i looking for if i'm coming to anything i'm coming for the joy in it yes sometimes you may read um a poem about trauma and so enjoy reading the poem. I, t- I tell people that most of the time when I'm reading something and I'm not enjoying the read, I stop reading it until I come back to it at a time that um, I, I, feel, I feel the poem. I enjoy reading it. So it, it is not about, I mean, well, if the lines are broken well, it makes the reading smooth. If um, if it's a prose poem and I like how the story goes ups and downs, and personally I enjoy poems that speak about so many things. So if I see these features in there, I really like it, and I like poems that speak about everything, political love, anything else metaphor simile anything i mean i don't think the ideal thing is i'm coming to a poem looking at it from oh this is a metaphor this is an image this is a simile this is an alliteration this is assonance this is that and that no i'm not looking for those things i don't come to a poem looking at those things when i come to the poem i am looking for enjoyment i want to enjoy the poem so all of these other things come later so it's not about, I mean, the devices that the person is using. No, it is the enjoyment that I'm looking for. When I find the enjoyment, that is when I am not analyzing a poem when I come to a poem. No, I am here to enjoy the poem. So it is after that I come back to it to analyze. Yeah. I'm glad that when you were talking about um, a good poem, you were saying that you like poems that are... Um, that are political, that you like love poems and things like that. I like that because most of the time people 
have this rigid standard of what every single poem should be and i don't believe in those things because as much as poetry is complex and everything it's still art and it should be enjoyed and i like that you said you don't come to it analyzing it you don't meet a look at a poem and see metaphors similarly no you just enjoy it you just read and enjoy because when you look at um a painting for instance or when you listen to music you don't pick apart whether it's the painting is a is a um oil painting or try and see what kind of technique the the painter used or if it's music you're not going to start seeing what chords and what instruments were used in making the beats you're just going to listen to it and enjoy it and then afterwards you'd analyze it and i i wish a lot of critics and um people who read poetry just enjoy it rather than trying to make meaning out of every single thing that they read about the african literary space since we're africans here if you were to change anything on the african in the african literary space what will it be more publishing houses more residencies more opportunities um I mean, book publications and good. One big problem is even accessibility to books. We have a very big issue with that in the sense that even if a Ghanaian publishes a book, it's difficult to get it in Nigeria. If a Nigerian publishes a book, it's difficult to get it in Ghana. So, I mean, you, I mean, Nigeria and Ghana have probably the closest relationship in among the West African countries, even though we are not the closest um, geographically. Ibab, hey, you understand? <laughs> okay, I was speaking pigeon. Ibab. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so um, we need to have a way to connect beyond the web, beyond the internet in a way that we can easily have access to books from nigeria we can easily have access books to, um, from poets in ghana writers in ghana from south africa from kenya everywhere i mean that's one thing that i think is very important accessibility because it's so so difficult getting a book from nigeria to ghana or from ghana to nigeria it is difficult so Yes, we understand that there are post office and most of the times you'd have to um, contact the author directly and then they'll post the book and it's stressful, yeah, it's stressful. So I think that's one thing that we should really consider and then publishing houses. There are a lot of talents in Africa, Ghana, um, Nigeria, Kenya, Liberia, most of them that we don't get to hear of because, I mean, where, where, where are they getting published? We need online journals, more, more, more of them. I mean, I like what Lowe is doing, what Agbo is doing, Olongo Africa, Tampered Prayers, like so many others, but I mean, we need more, we need more. Africa is big, we need more. CGWS is also doing very well in Ghana and Tampered Prayers here. But we need more of these, you understand? So I think these are some of the things that uh, I would do, I would want to change. And then um, the one thing that I also like is the idea of residences. 
that somebody i mean pay a writer some cool cash and then they get to live in the place enjoy and then focus on their writing i think it's a very important thing because as writers sometimes work and some other things prevent us from doing the work <laughs> yeah so that's important well, okay <laughs> It's okay if you speak pretty English. It's not a problem. All languages are okay and accepted here. So, um, I really think uh, what you said is is very important, and you you pointed out some some really um, really problematic things in the African literary space. I just recall a time when I asked you for your book. And you told me it was in Lagos. It was in a bookstore in Lagos. Now, for me to get that book, I would probably have to pay half of the price of the book to get it delivered to me. And for me, that's really problematic because I could easily just carry that money for delivery fee, use about a quarter of it, and walk into a bookstore in my town and get your book. It should, it should be that easy. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't have to be stressful. For the buyers and for the for the authors to get to um, be able to distribute and have those these books available, and I agree with you on the whole residency thing. It it would really be cool if we have those. I think for now, the only residency I know of um, in Nigeria is I don't know what I, I think it's Nigeria and or and one is Nigerian I think, and then the other one is African. I think uh, writers writers space Africa residency than the Egbedi residency uh, so it's really it's true we really need more of those here so as an African man let's shift to the controversial topics now as an African man what do you make of of the idea of toxic masculinity and feminism on the continent like what are your thoughts on these two um, these two topics Okay, so on toxic um, masculinity, I think how I'll summarize it is that um, whatever does not allow people to express their feelings, I don't want to be part of that. And as an African man, I mean, I'm not supposed to show any sign of weakness, any sign of vulnerability. I'm supposed to act all strong even when i'm dying <laughs> even when you're sick bed you're supposed to act like yo you're the strongest i mean it's crazy and i actually don't do such stuff i mean i try my best i mean sometimes these things are so i mean i don't know how to put it it's like it has become a part of us so we try you only have to you try to I mean, approach it now that you know that it's not helpful you try to take it out of your system it is not easy but you have to keep trying i think i read this work by um ocean vongon yeah on toxic masculinity and then you look at even some of our words our phrases that we use and then you realize that even these are toxic but we don't like um somebody performs at a place and then we are like you killed it why do we use such language of violence killing isn't something good 
but here we use it to mean i mean the person did very well and even so it normalizes it so but i am not i'm trying to stay away from such words such things that do not allow you to be who you are you understand see maybe we should all be feminists <laughs> maybe we should all be feminists we should and sometimes i do really wonder if um the men who are against feminism do notice that there is a lot of liberation in men and you see anytime you talk about feminism another thing that you think about is toxic masculinity like i mean they go hand in hand actually i think feminism also helps so much in liberating men from toxic masculinity yeah and i just i guess i've started on learning too because you've just pointed out something to me which is the thing about violence being in our language like saying something like you killed it it's something that shouldn't be normal in our in the way we speak because i mean violence in any form shouldn't be accepted even if it's supposed to be a good thing so i i i like that and i think everyone should unlearn it and that's the key word here unlearning it because we can't even stop it from being in our environment or being with us because it's something that we grew up on thinking and having thinking this way and so now that we're older now that we know that it's toxic we have to we just have to learn how to be aware of it be aware of things when they are toxic and be aware of of how we can unlearn them so i think it's really cool it's really cool and thanks thanks for mentioning that because i now i have to sit down and think about oh i have to unlearn a lot of toxic stuff this toxic language that i use daily yes 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 yes, yes. and it's, it's a process i mean sometimes they sneak back into my language and i still try so much to limit the usage of such words when i speak or when i write or i do anything because i know that these are not helpful so and honestly they can actually be trigger words for people that have gone through such violence like such violence so i try so much not to include them in my day-to-day conversations but i mean sometimes they sneak in because they become a part of us but I'm trying, I'm on learning, and I think we should all unlearn. Most of the time, I feel like these are some of the things that feminists have done. They have made us realize that, yo, this was actually a burden on men. This and that were a burden on men, and we need to take it away. In as much as we feel like it is women that we are helping. No, we are helping humanity. That is how I see feminism, that it is a thing about humanity, all of humanity, than about just one gender. So it is when you skew it just towards women, that is when you realize, you feel like, oh, it is giving women a lot of privilege. Okay. Yes, but also it has freed men from certain things that were toxic to them. You understand? So I try so much. Yeah, I really wish that people would look at it from your angle, to be honest, because it's not just about women. And people always just think it's about women. 
feminism also helps men if we because feminism basically is is shifting gender roles and when you shift gender roles you're basically changing how everybody men and women acts and behave and are seen and perceived in society so it affects everyone it affects everybody so i really wish people would would adopt it and would make it a part of their lives and yes yes men should learn to understand that we are privileged in so many ways they um i'm somebody who walks in the night a lot and when i speak to my female friends most of the time it's like it's an act of love they caution me you're always walking in the night you're always walking in the night and i mean they're telling me not to walk in the night but what i see most of the time is that it is fear because women most of the time cannot walk at such hours because of the fear that they will be harmed so as a man i feel like that is even a privilege that i can walk around that time sometimes 11 p.m 12 a.m 1 a.m i am walking i'm just walking because i want to walk at the time or sometimes maybe i visited a friend and i'm returning home but i'm still walking and normally a woman cannot be doing that you understand so there is a privilege in every single thing and men should learn to understand that and we should learn to make the world safer for women that's a very important thing we should learn to make the world safer for women i mean everybody is careful when it comes to their relatives but i mean everything gets mixed up when it's, it's about somebody else so we need to we need to be intentional about that about making places safe about knowing that we are privileged and you see sometimes you can use your privilege to um some kind of a good use you get it so if you know you are privileged in some way you can apply it in a way that it doesn't um put you in the center but also it puts somebody in the center it puts a woman in the center somebody that doesn't have that privilege you help them up and you don't make it all about you in my head the minute you said you walk in nights i went oh oh wow you're so lucky like i was a, a little bit jealous <laughs> because i can't walk in the night and i love looking at the stars at night like i, I, I like taking walks but it's something that i've not been able to do especially since the pandemic and everything yeah so i do that she see so that's the privilege that i was talking about but even with this privilege there are some exceptions to it or something i don't know but even i am sometimes careful i am sometimes afraid you can never be too careful that's the point so i am sometimes afraid when i'm walking in the night and i've met the police who have stopped me before to interrogate but also it didn't escalate it was just a normal police talk where are you coming from why are you walking at this time and all of that yeah i think it's it's okay but we need to also be careful when we walk in the night that that because even where i am now i've been told that the place is a bit scary uh, so i mean I need to be careful with my night walks.
yeah yeah that is so true like people actually men don't men i feel like men don't want to listen to talk um feminist talks or anything about feminism at all because they don't understand that they are privileged they they just i feel like when they listen to it they're like okay what what are these people complaining about they don't understand that they are in a position of privilege and then there is no there is no liberty in being a woman and that's why feminism is needed and i and i also believe that um toxic masculinity yeah you're right toxic masculinity is fought by feminism like feminism tries to bring down toxic masculinity and i feel like people should men should welcome feminism and like its ideologies because it's it's a good thing it would shift the discourse it would shift the whole um this this mindset of toxic masculinity i wish they could they could do that i think if if it happens especially here in africa it would really go a long way in helping people so let's shift from the controversial topics and move back to poetry so which one excites you more page poetry or spoken word poetry and which part of it like which one of these two are um more familiar to you and which one do you connect with more do you feel like is something you can easily do which one of these comes easily to you so regarding um poetry page poetry and then performance spoken word um i think i like page poetry the most because i think i have this weird relationship with poems that when you're reading a poem even if you're reading a poem to me i want to know where the comments are i want to know where the line breaks are i want to know everything about that poem because i feel like sometimes that changes a lot but with spoken word i can't see where the comma is i can't see where the line break is where the m dashes i mean i can see some of the the colon or the semicolon or anything yes i can hear the language i can understand that but i have that weird relationship with language that i want to see all of those things so i prefer page poetry to performance poetry but as well i like i mean i feel like they all have where they come to play there are times that i feel like paid poetry won't work in certain spaces but spoken word performance will work over there slam will work over there so it depends on all of these factors where the where is important the when is important the what the purpose is all important these are the only ways I'll be able to say that, oh, okay, I like this poem or I like that poem. But in general, I think I, I like page and that is where I am most comfortable because also, although people don't believe that I'm shy, I'm quite shy. And so performing myself is something a bit difficult for me. Even though I do it sometimes and people don't realize that I was shaking or I was shy. But with Paige, I mean, you're somewhere else and I'm somewhere else. I may be anxious about what you would think about it, but I mean, I'm cool. Oh, well, I think it's it's another thing that most people would assume. Most people would assume that 
page poets are maybe anxious or shy and that's why they don't like performing but i guess in your case it's both it goes both ways you're also a stickler for proper punctuation and you're someone that doesn't like that that wants to see every single um punctuation because i mean punctuation is the flavor of language it's like you write something it's like cooking a pot of food and then you're not adding any salt or pepper or any spice at all you just cook it and you leave it without i feel like that's how words are without punctuation so i think it's, it's really cool and you'd make a very good editor also i mean it's not just the punctuation i also don't want to i also want to know if there is no punctuation how did you structure the poem i want to see everything i mean i think in as much as um i i i love to hear things i love to see also so i mean that visual representation matters to me a lot that that's one of the reasons yeah yeah and i guess this happens with readers people who like to read i guess these are that's why um you would feel like this i guess you're the kind of person that likes reading more than listening to something or if it's a situation where you have to pick between the book and movie i'm guessing you'd want to pick the book because you don't want to see it and you want to see every word for yourself funny because also if let's say if it is not a poetry collection or a non-fiction book if it's fiction i think i rather want to watch <laughs> i rather want to watch the movie uh, than to <laughs> read a book honestly but if it's non-fiction and poetry i want i will choose uh, the book over the movie yeah okay we've come to the end of the episode thank you so much henry for joining us i personally enjoyed this conversation i got to learn so much from now on i'll be greeting people with um i give you the morning rather than saying good morning i really had a lovely time and i hope you did too thank you hi aisha thank you very much for having me i did enjoy myself and i'm glad you also enjoyed it and on that note i give you the afternoon uh thank you i give you the afternoon back (laughs) goodbye